Okay, so last week we talked about the Spirit, how the Spirit works within. And the week before that, we talked about the Spirit upon us, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this week we're going to talk about the gifts. So if you miss any of those other um, sessions or you just want to listen to them again, or you can share it with anybody else if you'd like to as well. So those are there for your enjoyment. Um, so today um, I want to give you a couple of truths that I want to read you. And I want you to be able to keep these truths kind of in the back of your mind as we go through the gifts tonight. So these are truths that apply to every single one of the gifts. And the first one is, is really important. Um, the Holy Spirit's main desire is to bear witness to Jesus Christ and every believer, to magnify Christ. That's his ministry, and that's his desire, is to magnify Christ. So when we start thinking about the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, we always have to think of it in light of that. The gifts of the Spirit magnify Christ to other people. And so as we go through each one, I want you to kind of think about that in the back of your mind. And the second truth would be that the baptism of the Spirit that we talked about in week four is the Spirit coming upon the believer and imparting to you and I the gifts that supernaturally equip us for service to God and service to others. Because the spirit within is for us, but the spirit upon is for service and for to, to help other people and to minister to other people. And you'll see what I mean by that because we're going to go through each gift one by one. Okay? So that's what that is for. The spirit within is for us, for sanctification and holiness and growing in the fruit. And the spirit is upon is for making the bringing the kingdom of God wherever we are and ministering to people in the body. It's for the body of Christ, okay? All right, so let's start reading. So I'm going to start reading in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're just going to read one verse to start with. So if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. And so this is Paul writing. And Paul says in verse 1, Now about the spiritual gifts. And in parentheses in my Amplified Bible, it says, after gifts, it says, the special endowments of supernatural energy. And he said, Brethren, I do not want you to be misinformed. So he says that first one he wants. So there's some misinformation floating around in the Corinthian church. And he is saying, I do not want you to be misinformed. And then the rest of chapter 12 is based on that statement. So in the next couple of verses, in 2 and 3, he teaches that the Holy Spirit cannot and will not do or say anything except to exalt Jesus Christ. And that is why you can trust him, and that is why he's safe, and that is why he's part of the Godhead, because he is there to only exalt Jesus Christ. So when people say, well, I don't know what the Holy Spirit might do, well, he would only do something that would bring glory and honor and magnify Jesus. And so we don't need to be afraid of that because that's who he is. He doesn't have his own agenda. His agenda is all about magnifying Jesus, making him famous. So that's verse 1. And in that, the, the Greek word for spiritual gifts is pneumotikos. And you don't really need to write this down. It's not important. But I want you to know what it means. It literally, literally means what is part of the divine spirit. Gifts were added for to help us understand what they really meant. But it's not really in the Greek. 
It's just pneumoticos. And so what the verse 12.1 really means is, now concerning the things which belong to the Spirit. That's really key. Now concerning things which belong to the Spirit. And why? Because we can't manufacture these gifts. They come from the Spirit. And we only get them through the Spirit. So that's why that verse is really important. So I want to spend a few minutes there. So now... We're going to start reading some more some more verses, but I want you to understand there's nine, we'll just say nine spiritual gifts, but they're not really gifts, they're nine ways the Holy Spirit manifests in each of us or can express himself. So we can look at him as gifts, but they're just nine ways that he can show up. Make sense? So let's start now in verse 4, still in chapter 12. And I'm going to read through verse 7. Now there are distinctive varieties and distributions of gifts. And again, he calls them extraordinary powers distinguishing certain Christians due to the power of divine grace operating in them by the Spirit. But it's the same Spirit for each of the gifts. And there are distinctive varieties of service, but it is the same Lord who is served. And there are distinctive varieties of operation, but it's the same God who inspires and energizes them all. But to each person is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the evidence, the spiritual illumination of the Spirit for good and profit of all. So the manifestation of the Spirit, the gifts that we're going to talk about now, are for the common good. They're for the gifts of the body but they're also for the world, and you'll see that as we go through each one. So these are for the body of Christ and for the world. And what they are is their evidence of, of the reality of God, their evidence of God's love and care for us. When people, when we exercise the gifts of healing and words of knowledge, people see, people feel cared for, and they feel like God sees them, and they're noticed, and they're loved. So that's why these gifts are so important. So as we, we're going to go through each one separately now. So let's start in verse 8. And we're going to just do one verse at a time so we don't get too confused on several gifts at a time. So verse 8, we're going to read that. To one is given in and through the Holy Spirit the power to speak a message of wisdom, and to another the power to express, express a word of knowledge and understanding according to the same Holy Spirit. So both of these gifts, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge, the message of wisdom, and here's a definition because I know some of you want this. Definition of the word of wisdom would be knowing what action to take in any given situation. So really, um, a word of wisdom is knowing what to do. So a word of knowledge would be giving God is giving you information about something but it's important to have that gift of wisdom, too, so you know what to do with what God has showed you. So this is a, this is a, this is a gift that often works in conjunction with others because you get a gift of prophecy, you get a gift of um, word of knowledge or something like that, or a gift of healing, and you need to know how God wants you to do that because Jesus never did anything with a formula, as we talked about last week. He did it every, different every time according to what he heard the Father say. Remember what Jesus said? I only do what I hear and see the Father doing. And so he that's why he did it different every time. He got his instructions new every morning. So we don't, there aren't formulas here. 
So we talked about that before. Now, this would be a word of knowledge. This would be the supernatural ability to know something that helps you minister to a person. And it's something that you can't know by yourself any other way except from the Lord. So a word of knowledge is something that is for someone else. So that's important. And so an example would be when Jesus was speaking to the woman of the well, remember she said she said a few things to him and he said, and I, and I know about your five husbands and the one you're married with now you're not married to. And she said, oh, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> that was a word of knowledge. Jesus knew that because his father showed him that. That's a perfect example of a word of knowledge. And so then he had to ask, what am I going to do with that? He's going to need the word of wisdom to go with that. So he continued on, and she and her entire village were saved. So this is what the, the gifts are for other people, are for the body and the world. So that's a really good example of that one. Okay, so now let's look at verse 9 for the gift of faith. To another, wonder-working faith by the same Holy Spirit, and to another, the extraordinary powers of healing by one spirit. So the gift of faith, this is interesting. This is not the measure of faith that all believers get at salvation, but this is enormous supernatural faith for for healing for miracles. Um, lots of evangelists have this supernatural increase of faith. They can do go, go and do extraordinary things. You think of George Mueller. You think of Billy Graham. You think of people like that who just have this enormous amount of faith in the face of incredible odds. That would be this kind of faith. It's just not your garden variety of faith that we're talking about here. So extraordinary faith. And this is the kind of faith that is beyond anybody's expectation, and you just can't plan for this. And you certainly can't muster it up. So I talk about other times stirring up your faith. This would not be one you could stir up by yourself. This would be from the Holy Spirit. Okay, now let's talk about the healing gift, which we already read about. The healing gift, this can be, um, well, all through Acts. There's miraculous healings all through Acts, and it talks about that. This can be physical it can be spiritual, emotional, um, any kind of healing. Like that could be healing prayer even. Um, healing especially brings people who are not saved to Jesus Christ. If somebody gets prayed for and they don't know Jesus and they get healed in the name of Jesus, they are absolutely undone right here. Undone. And they know that they know that they know that God has absolutely touched them. And that's why these gifts are so important, especially healing and especially miracles, because they show the heart of God and they bring the kingdom of God to wherever that's taking place. So healings are very, very important. Um, and it just manifests the love, and for believers too, it manifests the love of God to whoever gets healed. If you've ever seen anybody get healed, I have several times, and the, they're, they're absolutely at a loss for words, they are jumping up and down. They can't even explain what, they can't explain what just happened. And they usually say that about 2 million times. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, what just happened? Because they just, they had something and now they don't. They have been healed and they know that they know that God touched them and they will never, ever be the same after that. So that's why this gift is so important. So that's the gift of healing. Okay. Okay. 
Now, let's look at verse 10 for the gift of miracles. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophetic insight of interpreting, um, of interpreting the divine will and purpose. And I want to just stop right there because I don't want to go any further. Gift of miracles. This is anything that shows power, might, force, supernatural wonder. Um, this would be lots of things in the Bible show this. All the miracles that Paul did, Jesus did, and the disciples. But Moses parting the Red Sea is a miracle. All the, all the plagues and everything else were all miracles that came out of that. Lots and lots of miracles. Something that is really, really miraculous that, and, and it's like so extraordinary that it cannot be explained by any way except the direct intervention of God. That would be a true miracle. But again, it can be physical, it can be spiritual, it can be emotional, it can be lots of different things. So we don't want to put God in a box. We want to let him have his free reign. Um, also, it can be miracles of provision. Miracles of provision, like the five loaves and two fish. Miracles of provision. Okay, now let's look at the rest of verse 10, and we're going to get into the gift of prophecy. Um, to another prophetic insight, the gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose, and then we'll talk about the other gift after that, because there are several gifts in that paragraph right there. All right, so the gift of prophecy. This is when God brings a message to a person um, a message to a person or a congregation through another person. So the gift of prophecy would really be you're receiving God's thoughts or words spoken exactly for the moment that you're in. So when you get a word of prophecy for someone, you get an appropriate word for that particular time. And that person knows that there's no way you could know that, but only God would know that. And so they felt seen, heard, and cared for. And that can be for the body, and it can even be for unbelievers, too. So the gift of prophecy is, is awesome. And it also is it's a word of revelation. Um, and something that you know that you need to know is being revealed to you. So that's what the gift of prophecy is. Now let's go to the discerning of spirits. And again, I'm just highlighting these. We could do... We could break this down and do a lot more, but in our in our time frame, we want to keep moving. So the last one, not the last one, but the last one in this paragraph, to another, the ability to discern and distinguish between the spirits. And so what that means is the discerning of spirits gift is the ability to be able to discern the spirits that motivate a person. So you're distinguishing between good and evil. You're distinguishing between things that might be going on. This gift is extremely important in deliverance ministry, in inner healing prayer ministry, because the people who are operating in that need to know what's going on. And so often, um, we will pray in freedom ministry, we'll pray for the Holy Spirit to give us discernment, and that's what we're using, that gift of discerning of spirits. And he'll give us a little something, and often... The person will say, I've come in to deal with this. And after we pray and discern, we say, no, you're not really coming in for that. You're coming in for this. And they're like, oh, my gosh, you're right. I am, right? That happens all the time. That happens all the time. But they are, it's not that they're trying to fool us. They themselves aren't even unaware. 
until we talk about a few things and we get some discernment from the Holy Spirit. So this gift is super valuable when you're praying for people and when you're in deliverance ministry and things like that. Very, very, very helpful. And so we're always thankful for the Holy Spirit to, to tell us those kinds of things. Now, Jesus did this all the time. He could discern what spirits were afflicting a person so he could know how to de heal a particular person. Um, and now I know you. this is the, the gift that you've all been waiting for. <laughs> the gift of tongues. So here we go. Super. So we're going to talk about the gift of tongues. And this is what it is. Here's my definition for that. A supernatural ability to speak another language that you don't know or understand. And we can, and I'll stop and get some comments from you on this in just a few minutes. Um, but speaking in tongues is a lot more common than you think. It's a lot more common than you think. And there are two uses of it. So the public use of it would be in a church service, someone might give a message in tongues, and it's really a word of prophecy. So I listen to maybe one or two different churches every week on a podcast. And they're charismatic churches, and they have usually two or three messages given in tongues every Sunday. It's very orderly. It's not wild and crazy, but someone who stands up and they give a message in tongues, and someone else in the congregation interprets it. And it's a gift for the, it's a word for the body. It's usually a, a very encouraging word, or it's a warning, or it's saying something that's going to happen in the future. But mostly, it's just really encouragement from the Lord, and it's wonderful. And it takes about two seconds to deliver that word and get it interpreted, and then the rest of the service goes on, and it's not a big deal. The other use of tongues is a private prayer language, which is more common than the public use of tongues because unless that's your church culture, you're just not going to see the public use of tongues. I mean, that's their church culture. That's what they do. But the private language is what is so lovely. Because the private use of is your prayer language. And the reason people would say, well, why do I need that or want that? The, I would say the gift of tongues for your private prayer language is something that is when you're worshiping or you're praying about something really intensely and you have run out of English words to describe what you want to say, the gift of tongues can take over and you can pray in the spirit. And not only that, you're not using your own brain to pray anymore. You're just praying in the Spirit, and the Spirit is praying through you to the Lord. So this is, a, this is just between you and God. I don't do this in front of anybody because it's very private. I do this with the Lord as I pray in the morning or when I run out of things to pray in my own English language if I'm praying for something intense or if I'm worshiping and I can't say glory to God one more time, then I just start in that. And it's and it's lovely, and it builds me up, and I know at that point that the Holy Spirit is praying through me, which is awesome, because I want that. Do you want to say anything more about that? It's just a beautiful thing. It, I, I just feel like it, it's life-changing. Mm -hmm. Like Even this morning I was praying, and mm -hmm. I just felt like there were some things I wasn't needing discernment about, and yeah. so I just was kind of singing and praying in tongues a bit, and I, mm -hmm. I just felt like I, I got the discernment I needed after praying in tongues. Yeah. So, Sometimes it's a, a really valuable thing. It takes you out of your own head. And you, I just know more that I'm listening in the spirit and not logic. Right. And that's I, I'm glad you said that. It takes you out of your own head. You are no longer involved in analytical reasoning. 
and listening to your own thoughts. You are now just praying in the spirit. Yeah. 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 So sometimes that helps us to hear. And then the interpretation of tongues would be exactly what it is. Somebody is able to interpret what you said in the congregation. Um, now, that doesn't, usually we don't know our own interpretation when we pray in tongues privately. Um, I think some people do. I think there are people who do. And if you do, good for you. I would love that. That would be awesome. So the interpretation would just be someone in a body, a church culture that does that. Um, they would interpret that so that the body can know what's being said. So you could equate that in a public setting as equal to the gift of prophecy, basically, because it's a prophetic word spoken in tongues. So questions before we move on. Any questions? I think one more, one more thing I would just encourage anybody that's wrestling with tongues, I think I've said this before, if I, I wrestled with this for so many years and was confused and I didn't grow up in a denomination that taught me about tongues, but it mm -hmm. is in scripture. So I just encourage you if you have questions about it, just offer a surrender to the Lord. God, I'm a little confused about this. God's not yeah. the author of confusion. So confusion comes from the enemy. I believe this is one of the greatest gifts of, for you that God has to strengthen you and edify you and build you up. And so, mm -hmm. of course, Satan wants to come and try to bring some confusion or some frustration or some criticism. Or there's just lots of opinions about it. So just ask God. Yeah. Show me what you want me to know about tongues. Yes. Lead me, and he, he will. He, he, I promise you he will. He will. Just ask him, God, what do you want to show me? What do you want to tell yeah. me? Okay. I just want to know more about this. Tell me. Tell me to know your truth. Mm -hmm. I prayed for tongues for a very, very, very long time, and it didn't happen for me easily or quickly. Yep, I me too. frustrated. Yep. Um, I thought, what in the world? This isn't real. That this doesn't make mm -hmm. sense to me. Mm -hmm. But someone that was mentoring me kept telling me that too. Just keep just praying and asking God to show you. <coughs> it isn't something like any of the gifts that comes always right away. Sometimes it does for people. Sometimes I've prayed for people to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they will instantly start speaking in tongues. Mm -hmm. But other times, it, it isn't. So mm -hmm. for me, it happened when I was just singing and worshiping and I had been literally asking for tongues for over a year. Right. Just telling God I was ready. I do believe in this. I would love to have right. it, but I'm okay if you don't want to give this to me, but I just mm -hmm. was open. Yep. Um, and it was just this beautiful experience when I was singing and it just like, I think there's a sense of, I, I resonate with that so much because there's a sense of trying too hard to receive something and you just want the Holy Spirit to just, just give me whatever you want. And I think, um, often this happens with people. Um, and if this is true for me, once I forgot about it and just, I was asking for it, but not stressing about it and not worrying about whether I was going to get it or not. And once I stopped being panicked about it, I, I received it. So it was kind of, it's kind of like that. You're just trying too hard sometimes. Yeah. So that's the gift of tongues. It's just a gift. It's a lovely gift of a prayer language. Um, just remember, along with that, if you're fearful or confused or skeptical or that is not from the Lord, remember to be fruit checkers, ladies. Mm -hmm. You check the fruit that you're feeling all the time and find out. Be, have, have a discerning spirit. Where is that coming from? Because God is not the author of confusion or fear or anxiety. That's the enemy. And so you can just say, get out in Jesus' name. You're not part of this process. Yeah, and just keep inviting the Holy Spirit in. So that's those, those are the gifts. Um, 
So let's go on to verse 11 because I've got a lot of other things that I want to talk about tonight too. Um, all these gifts are inspired and brought to pass by one and the same Holy Spirit who apportions to each person individually exactly as he chooses. So the Holy Spirit empowers the gifts. He distributes the gifts and they have a purpose. And here's the purpose to have a healthy, balanced, powerful church that is a place of healing and equipping to do Christ's work. And of course, the Holy Spirit does everything according to his will and plan. And not everyone is gifted the same. And I can't stress this enough. You can have the same gift and it'll look different than the person sitting next to you. You can have the gift of prophecy, gift of words of knowledge, all these different things, and it will not look the same as your neighbor because the Holy Spirit is very, very creative in how he distributes these things. And so it can look differently in different people. And really often it's hard to distinguish sometimes what gift you're actually working in because sometimes the words of knowledge, the words of wisdom, and the words of prophecy are all kind of similar. And so it's not necessary to always distinguish. We just do that in order to teach, really. And so that's why I think Paul kind of runs through them pretty quickly because he knows they all kind of piggyback off of each other. And also the Holy Spirit gives gifts as needed. And so I don't think it's probably super wise to walk around saying, well, I only have this gift. Well, next week you might need another gift and then he'll give you that gift because he gives us the gifts as we're needed. He doesn't give you words of knowledge about somebody unless it serves his purpose. So, like, I don't walk around knowing people's things unless, you know, I mean, I, you know what I mean? That would be weird. So only when I need to know, when like when I need to pray for somebody or something, he'll give me a word of knowledge. And so he gives it as the need arises. We just need to be open to receiving that and believing that, oh, that's from the Lord, because there's no way I could know that. And then asking him what to do with that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So let's move on to chapter 13, because there's a lot in here that I want to cover, is the love chapter. The reason this love chapter is right after all this is because Christ wants us to know all these gifts, but he also wants us to know that the motive of how we walk in the gifts of, is of utmost importance to him. If we don't walk in love, these gifts do not magnify the Lord, do not bring glory to his name, or exalt him in any way. So above all, Paul says, all through the first eight or nine verses of chapter 13, love above all must rule. We never operate in the gifts for any other reason is it, it, any other reason other than to show the love of Christ to somebody. Ever, ever, ever. And so we always got to be checking our motives and finding out what we're doing and asking God, are my motives pure? Are my motives pure? Because that's what he wants above all to walk in love. So that's important um, because Jesus is sending us out as his disciples to be a witness for him. And so we have to operate the way he did, but he operated in love all the time. And I read this somewhere and I thought I'd quote this for you. All these gifts and all these things that we're talking about tonight, we have not just been saved to go to church and be nice people. We have been saved to be filled with the Holy Spirit and bring the kingdom of God wherever we are. And for that, we need the Holy Spirit. We absolutely do. There's not one of these gifts that we can supernaturally inspire in ourselves. They have to come from the Spirit. 
and he's willing if we are every time. So I want to talk about some, some verses in 13, if you've read this. Um, let's see, where do I want to start here? Let's go ahead and start in verse 13, chapter 13, verse 9. So before I start to read that, I just want to tell you that there are some, there's a lot of Christians today that do not believe the gifts are for today. And CC asked me a couple weeks ago if I was going to cover this. Um, it's called cessationism, and it means that they think that the gifts were for the early church and they are no longer necessary for today. And so we're gonna look at some verses and we're gonna dig and find out ourselves what the word says. Because a lot of people just, oh, okay, they said that's true, that's true. Nope, we have to be the Bereans. We've gotta to go to the word and we've gotta find out what the word says for ourselves. And sometimes that means we do some digging into the Greek, which we're gonna to do tonight. So let's start in verse nine, chapter 13. <laughs> <laughs> so verse 9 says, For our knowledge is fragmentary, incomplete, and perfect. And our prophecy, our teaching, is fragmentary, incomplete, and perfect. But when the complete and perfect total comes, the incomplete and imperfect will vanish away and become unnecessary. So I want to stop right there. So he's talking about the perfect, when the perfect total comes. And so right now we're going to talk about what that perfect looks like in the Greek. So when we look that up in the Greek, it's the Greek word teleos, which isn't really important to you except to know what it means. This is what it means. It means it's brought to an end, finished, completeness, lacking nothing more necessary to be completed. And so this would be the sentence that it means, the perfect state of all things. And they equated this when to be ushered in by the return of Christ from heaven. So the completeness, the perfect that they're talking about is the return of Christ, the second coming again of Jesus Christ. So when that perfect comes, we won't need these gifts because we're all going to be in heaven and in the new kingdom with the Lord. We won't need the gift of prophecy. We'll be speaking to Jesus face to face. We won't need the gifts to minister to the body. So that's what this Greek word means when we get into that. All right, let's keep going. So to say that the perfect is, um, and so these people, the cessationist group, will tell you, well, we think the perfect means the whole, now after the whole Bible has been given, the whole canon of scriptures. The perfect has come. That means the whole canon of scriptures. But when we look at the Greek, that's not what the Greek says. The Greek says when the total perfect comes, and they're referring to the, com to the second coming of Jesus Christ when he takes us into his kingdom. That's when the perfect total comes. And so that's what they're basing that on. They've now decided to interpret the perfect as, now we have the Bible, so we don't need the gifts. But as I look around in the world, I see a very broken world that the Bible itself cannot fix, that the gifts of the Spirit need to be operating in. But there's more, so now let's keep reading. Because these following verses, I think, cement this whole thing in. So what they've done is change the meaning of the Greek to suit them, just so that it will mean something other than 
Jesus coming. So now let's start in verse 12. For now, we are looking in a mirror that gives only a dim reflection of reality. But then when perfection comes, we shall see in reality and face to face. Now I know in part imperfectly, but then I shall know and understand fully and clearly, even in the same manner as I have been fully and clearly known. So I think we have to ask some questions here. Do I know everything? Am I seeing everything face to face? Am I, am I seeing everything clearly and perfectly all the time? If I did, I wouldn't need the word of knowledge and I wouldn't need to get this sterling of spirits gift. I wouldn't need any of these. So clearly, I think this verse cements that in there from the context. And so this is back to context, which you've heard me teach on before. We don't take a verse ever, ever, ever and make it say something because we can literally use the Bible and make it say anything we want if we just use one verse at a time. But when we read the first maybe four or five verses before and four or five verses after, that's getting the context of what Paul is saying. And he is saying here that the perfect has not come. Everything isn't perfect. I don't know everything perfectly or see everything perfectly yet. And I won't until the second coming of Jesus Christ, when we're all face to face with him and everything is known by every single person. Does this make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think that from the context, this shows us that, that we are not in a perfect situation yet and Jesus needs to come. And in the meantime, these gifts of the Spirit are for today. They simply are. So I, I just don't think that we could come to that conclusion based on what they say. Um, comments on that before I move on. Do you have anything to add to that, Cece? Did you learn anything different than that? No. Okay. 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 And here's another thing. Let's look at Acts 2. This also cements this in. And, you know, when we were looking at the Bible, we always got to look all over the Bible to get answers for the same things because the Bible does not contradict itself. So if we look at Acts 2, this is what Peter was talking about when he was standing up in his boldness telling the crowd what was going on after they had been baptized in the Spirit. So I'm going to start at verse 17. And this is Peter speaking to the big crowd of people. And it shall come in the last days, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, telling forth the divine counsels, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Yes, and on my manservants and my maidservants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and they shall tell things and predict future events that are to come. And I will show wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and smoking vapor. So this is the prophecy from Joel 2, back in the Old Testament, that he is now reciting. So this also cements this in, that we are even going to have more of the gifts in the last days, which I would say that we are in the last days, since it's been 2,000 years or so since Jesus was crucified. So we are in the last days, and the gifts are desperately needed. Amen? Yeah. Okay. 
So tonight, I kind of want to show you how to pray for the baptism of the Spirit and how to pray for more fillings of the Holy Spirit. This is something we can do tonight. This is something you guys can do at home. I know that I pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I receive that. And this is just something you can pray for just like anything else. And I gave you some conditions for praying for the Spirit. But, so I'm just going to briefly go over some things that are necessary to receive the baptism of the Spirit. And first of all is that you believe that the baptism of the Spirit is real and that you want it. So just a belief in that, just believing that that. And to desire it would be the second one, to desire the filling of the Holy Spirit or to be poured out upon. And the third is to ask and keep on asking. Like Jen said, this is something that oftentimes you pray for a lot before you receive it. And again, you'll receive it when you're not trying so hard. It's because that's how it is. So ask, remember our verse in Luke 9, 13, how much more will God pour out the Holy Spirit on those who ask him and keep on asking? So let's keep on asking until we receive. Um, fourth would be to, to yield to the Holy Spirit so he can so he can use us. Yield to the Holy Spirit, whatever he would like to do. And then the fifth one is receive in faith. Absolutely no wavering. God is not going to give us something that we don't have faith for. He just isn't. If we don't have faith to receive that, it's the same as salvation. We talked about that, I think, last week or the week before. You receive salvation by faith. Jesus died for you, but until you believed it in faith, you weren't saved. And this is the same thing. We believe for it in faith. And we say, thank you, Jesus, that I have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, I receive it in faith. And then we wait to see what happens. And we all know what happened with the disciples in Acts, the whole, well, whole thing of Acts, but especially in uh, chapters 1 through 5, they walked in complete obedience. They walked in tons of boldness. Remember, they were basically unrecognizable to the people around them. They were these crazy little fishermen, and now all of a sudden they were these bold guys because the Holy Spirit had gotten hold of them. Then they walked in the gifts after that. So it will transform you, and it will change you. And, and But God does everything gently and very kindly. But you will know when the Holy Spirit has come upon you because you'll just think differently, and you'll feel differently, and you'll just walk in things differently. Does this make sense? So we have to believe, ask, and receive in faith. And this is something you can ask for every morning. And I think I asked for this every morning for two years. And and really, really. And, and God has some work to do in me. And I think I shared that with you. But my motives weren't actually pure. I wanted it for certain reasons. And he wouldn't give it to me until my motives were pure. So get yourselves, get your motives pure. Okay? Um, so that's okay. God knows exactly what he's working with. And he's not deterred by any of that. 